Well, welcome. We're glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. Welcome those who are joining us at the Ferndale campus. And a special welcome to those of you who are watching online. Uh, we're glad that you are here. Before we get started with our brand new series called Big Words, I just want to give you a couple of pieces of information that are very, very important. Alpha starts this Monday. Alpha is the safest environment we have at Christ the King where you can come, learn the basics of the faith of Christianity, and ask any questions that you have. Nobody's going to jump down your throat because you don't know something. In fact, we're going to spend some time just dialoguing. Alpha is really dinner, a movie, and a small group discussion. That's what it is. And the cool thing is the meal is free and the relationships are fantastic. And so if you'd like to come and join us, we'll invite you to sign up at the connection point. We would love to have you come and be a part of Alpha. If you want to go kind of a couple of steps beyond Alpha, we have something next Sunday afternoon called an ownership class. We're not big on membership at Christ the King Church, but we're huge on ownership. We really need to own the mission that God has given us for this particular church. I teach the class. It lasts a couple hours, and basically we just kind of get together and talk about our story, and then we ask the question whether or not you'd like to be a part of the story or not. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, the cool thing about that one is lunch is free if you come to that one. So you can sign up at the connection point. That would be fantastic. And then in your program tonight at both campuses here and at Ferndale, there is a blue envelope, and it says missions on it. Last week, we introduced to you our, the project that we're going to finish, the Tumaini Children's Home, which is called the House of Hope in Tanzania, Africa. We started building it. We've worked on it really, really hard. It's about 80% complete, and now it's time to bring it in for a landing. It's going to take about 50,000 U.S. dollars to finish this. Out of that, 50 children who've been orphaned because of the AIDS pandemic are going to have a home and a brand new future because of our sacrifice. I want to remind you, this is for above and beyond giving. We don't just grab our tithe and slam it over here into the other envelope. This is another opportunity for us out of the, the generosity of our hearts to, to bless some kids that we may never meet. But what an amazing opportunity. So we're going to leave this in your good care. It's between you and Jesus. I hope um, that you'll give it some good consideration and we'll see what God does with this project over the next couple of weeks. All right, let's get started. We're starting a brand new series called Big Words. I am intimidated. I am scared. I am living in deep fear. So you can pray because this is a little outside of my comfort zone. I'm not a theologian. I'm a normal guy with his Bible. And so my job week after week is going to try to take some big theological stuff and make it simple so that all of us can wrap our arms around it. The longest usable word in the English language is pneumono ultra microscopic coniosis. I practiced that all week long. You try saying that really, really fast three times. It's a lung disease. I hope you don't have it. That word recently took over from another word that some of us probably learned in our humanities class or in history, which was anti-disestablishmentarianism. How many times have you used that in a sentence in the last week? My favorite big word is hippopotomonstrosoequipedaliophobia, which literally means being afraid of big words. And I have that now that we have started this particular series. The purpose of the series is simple. There's some big words in your Bible. And if you don't know what they mean, you can end up with a very distorted idea of who God is. And for the next six weeks, we're going to unpack one big word per week. And we're not going to allow it to just become some academic exercise. 
I hope by the time we're done, you walk out of here completely juiced about what we talked about because that word suddenly has come alive to you. Behind each word is a glimpse of God's heart for each of us. And my prayer is that as we walk through this, what comes out of it is that we're going to want to live our lives very differently in light of the big word that has come our direction. The words are salvation, propitiation, transformation, justification, regeneration, and sanctification. And I want you to know right from the get-go, this series is a package deal. All right? You need all six weeks for this to make sense. If you just get little bits and pieces of something, I mean, you take little bits and pieces, put it together in any area of your life, it's dangerous, all right? So if you have to miss a week, no problem, no guilt, but jump online and try and catch up because all of the words are interconnected with each other. And if you're missing a part, you can end up going, what is Grant talking about? And we don't want that to happen because that may happen anyway, and we don't want it to. Okay, so I also want you to know this before we get started. No human being on the face of this earth can give you an exhaustive, systematic theology of the words and concepts we're going to try and cover in less than 28 minutes. It's not humanly possible, all right? I have a library full of books, thousands of volumes, some here, some in my home, most of them inside of my computer. And if you go through them, there have been hundreds upon hundreds of books written on each one of these words trying to get people to understand them. And if you think I can give you the whole deal in 28 minutes, you're nuts. It's just simply not going to happen. So we need to have some perspective. I also want to say this to any of the critics who just love to show up right away and go, oh, you've missed this little part, and you missed this little part, and, and you're going to start quoting things to me. I totally understand that. I want us to be discerning. But I am going to say this to those of you that make that into a full-contact sport. Before you decide to go neat-nick or nitpick on me and start quoting Spurgeon to me, most of you are like, who's Sturgeon? I love you, okay? <laughs> and I love Charles Haddon Spurgeon, too. He's one of the greatest preachers in all time. Can we just be realistic about what we can and can't cover? Let's go all the way through it together. And hopefully by the time we're done, we will have a greater understanding of the depth and the beauty of God's Word, and we'll be amazed that all of these topics have a lot to do with us. So let's keep our eye on the big things, the Bible, the cross, and our own hearts. I think we're going to do great together. This week I'm going to give you some really good news. Next week we're going to talk about propitiation, which actually has some bad news attached to it. But for this week, we're going to start on the upside, okay? Starting with the good stuff. Here we go. I was in Las Vegas a few weeks before Easter, and one night with a group of people from a church that I was working with down there, we went down to Fremont Street in downtown Vegas. Our goal was to give out water and Bibles to the people that were just moving up and down Fremont Street. If you've ever been there, it's this great big kind of LED light show that happens over top of your head. It's kind of cool. It's an amazing thing to watch. What I didn't know, what I'd forgotten was the night we were going down there was St. Patrick's Day. I've never seen so many drunk green people in my whole life. <laughs> Literally painted from head to toe in green, stumbling around. I'm just like, this is like a party on Mars. I mean, it's just a strange, strange deal. So we set up a table, and we were just giving away little pocket New Testaments and water to people. Just like, here you go. The goal was make sure they put the Bible in, the, in their pocket. 
Because if they just carry it with them, they're probably going to throw it away. But if they wake up the next morning somewhat wasted and there's a Bible in their pocket, they may actually think God was trying to get their attention, which He was, okay? So we're just standing there going out talking to people. And as I'm going out, we're finally breaking down into twos and threes and we're doing some, you know, just walk around conversation type stuff. I'm walking down the street and this girl jumps into my path. She's a high school senior, maybe, you know, 16 to 18 years old. And she looks at me and she goes, bang, you're dead, heaven or hell. I'm like, heaven. <laughs> and she went into this little rant. She goes, oh good, you've been saved. You've been washed in the blood. Your name's been written in the Lamb's book of life. You've been regenerated by the power of the Holy Ghost and you've been saved. And because you've been saved, we have nothing to talk about. So I'm gonna move on to my next victim. And she left. I was a victim of drive-by evangelism. I mean, <laughs> I, I got mugged by one of God's kids with words. I'm just like, what was that? What are you doing? I had no idea why that happened to me. I was just kind of stunned for the rest of the night. Just like, there goes another green guy. You know, it's just... And then I realized she introduced our first big word for me. Because our first big word is salvation. We like to throw the word saved and salvation around a lot, especially in church. But it happens out there in the real world too, right? We hopefully have a savings account, which protects us from financial ruin somewhere down the road. If, if some of you are boxers, I'm not sure if many of you are, but if some of you are boxers, they have a phrase in boxing called being saved by the bell, which means instead of getting your brains beaten out, somebody rings a little bell and you get to crawl back to your corner and recover for a little while. Whenever we talk about being saved or salvation, I think one of the natural questions is, what are we being saved from? Like, from what? Well, the Bible is very clear about this. The Bible teaches we can be saved from sin and death. That's really good news. It says we can be saved from guilt and from isolation from God, that we can actually have a relationship with God. The Bible says we can be saved from condemnation and hell. Hell is not politically correct to talk about. I don't care. Let me tell you why. We talk about hell, whether it's politically correct or not, because hell is hot, forever is a long time, and the answer to not going to hell is something called salvation. That's why we're talking about it. For our purposes, we're going to define salvation purely in biblical terms. Here's our working definition, okay? It goes like this. Salvation. It's our spiritual rescue from the power and the penalty of sin. This is personal. Salvation's unbelievably personal for each one of us. I noticed something. I started looking inside of dictionaries for different kinds of definitions when it came to salvation. Every single one that I went to, somewhere in that definition, most of them, before they even did the normal world definition of salvation, put these words, in Christian theology, when God rescues someone from the power and the penalty of sin. Well, isn't that an interesting place to find that definition? The Bible teaches us that we were all born into sin. The Bible teaches, whether you like it or not, that we are all sinners. Every single one of us, none of us is exempt, especially the guy with the microphone. The Bible teaches that sinners need a Savior. The Bible teaches that God wants to rescue us from the power and the penalty of sin. The Bible also teaches us that we need to be saved from God's wrath and God's judgment. That sounds a little scary. Don't let it freak you out. We're going to talk about it next week with a big word called propitiation, all right? 
The Bible teaches us that God offers salvation to everyone who will believe. The word salvation in Scripture, it's huge. It's got many, many senses. You can look at it from so many different angles. It's also got all different kinds of tenses. I mean, you start reading your Bible and it talks about how we've been saved before the foundations and, and then we're saved in a moment of salvation and then God is in the business of, of saving us on a daily basis and you kind of put all this stuff together. It's like, what does it mean? What does it honestly mean? The word salvation has a whole stream of learning uh, attached to it called soteriology. And I read, I spent all week studying soteriology. And you know what I am? Confused. That's what I am. My biggest struggle this week was boiling down all the stuff that I learned so that I could wrap my head around it. And then I remembered something. Whenever you find yourself in the position of information overload, the very best thing you can ever do is open up your Bible to the simplicity of Scripture and just let it talk for itself. So that's what we're going to do. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, these words. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's a pretty simple definition, but we're going to break it apart phrase by phrase. So it starts with this little statement. You can fill these in in your outline. Salvation is by grace. It's by grace. Salvation is offered out of the kindness and compassion of God. He's the one that offers it to us. None of us are saved because we deserve anything from God. What we deserve is punishment and death because we're all sinners. I mean, that's what Scripture tells us. Now, we can be saved simply because God offers it to us. And He offers it to us, not based on anything we've done, but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the, car, on the cross that paid the debt in full. He opened the door of salvation to us, even though we didn't deserve it. So, last couple weeks ago on Easter weekend, I celebrated just a little anniversary. I've been the senior pastor here at Christ the King for seven years. And six years ago, the truth was I was drowning in a sea of administrative work. There's actually a fair number of employees that work around here. And there's a pretty big building that goes along with it. And I was drowning in a sea of stuff kind of a copier should we get? And, and should we move this over here? And you want to knock down that wall? And who's going to move this? I mean, just all that kind of stuff. Some of it I was involved in on purpose. Others I probably shouldn't have been looking at whatsoever. But the truth was I was dying underneath the weight of it. It, it was just snuffing out any joy that I was having at that time. Well, one day, a man from our church showed up and he asked me a question. He said, how are you doing, Grant? And I said, I'm fine. I lied to him, and he knew it. And in the next couple of minutes, what came out of him completely blew me away. To this day, I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around it. He offered out of the goodness of his heart to give me one year of his life where he would step in, help cover the administrative bases so that I could get my feet on the ground doing the ministry that God had called me to. And he told me, he would give me one year of his life for one dollar. Blew me away. He worked a whole year for one buck out of the grace and the kindness of his heart. I didn't deserve his generosity, but he offered it anyway. You know, it was amazing. He didn't judge me because I couldn't handle the load. 
He didn't think that somehow I wasn't measuring up because I couldn't get everything covered at the same time. No, he just saw I was being crushed, and through the sacrifice of his time and his expertise, he saved me in that situation. He saw that I was dying, and so he just extended a hand and said, why don't you grab on, and I'll help you. You know, whether we admit it or not, all of us are drowning in a sea of sin. And into that problem, Jesus extends his hand of grace to each one of us so that we can be saved. When you're on the receiving end of that kind of a gift, it changes you. It changes you. And Jesus says, that's exactly what I want to do. You don't deserve it. You probably may, won't even acknowledge that you need it, but I'm going to offer it to you anyway. John 3.17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's by grace. It's because God has a huge heart. It's out of his kindness that he extends this to us. That's an amazing, amazing thing. Secondly, it's by grace. And secondly, salvation is through faith. Just so we're clear, we need to understand what faith is not. Faith is not intellectual knowledge that we're simply convinced of something because we've got a lot of empirical data. That's not faith. Faith is not sincerity. Just because you believe something really, really bad doesn't make it true. I mean, the truth is, I can sincerely believe that I could play and compete in the NBA. I could since why are you laughing? I could sincerely believe that to be true, but the truth is this. I'm 5'10", I can't jump, and I've got no game. So my sincerity, no matter how much I want to believe it, it doesn't mean anything. It's delusional is what it is. Some people think, if I just believe hard enough, that's faith. That's not faith. Faith is genuine trust. I'm living out faith right now. I'm genuinely trusting that the stool that's held me up for nearly five years every weekend is going to continue to do its job tonight. And we're going to find out, right? Everybody's watching. Faith is a genuine trust. I genuinely trust that Jesus is who he said he was, did what he said he would do, and that he offers salvation to each and every one of us. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. That's faith. You believe in him, and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you're receiving the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. It's through faith. And sometimes that's a tough thing. It's like, I'm like, what are you doing? having faith. It's a sincere belief that God is right and true and faithful. Let's look at number three. The scripture also says it's by grace through faith and that salvation is not from ourselves. I think the problem that a lot of us run into is that we like to deny the fact that we need saving. Right? I don't need saving. I'm good. I'm fine. Doing all right here on my end. I don't need anything. My life seems to be going along somewhat fine. I mean, no need to be saved here. I'm good. We convince ourselves we are not drowning in sin, even though the Bible says exactly the opposite. So we tell ourselves, I'm not drowning. I'm not drowning. I'm not drowning. I'm just fine. I'm just thrashing my arms around because I need like, like bicep and tricep workout. I'm taking on water and breathing it in through my nose, but I'm not drowning. 
no, 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 I'm doing that. I'm trying to rinse my nasal passages because I have allergies. And I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm thrashing around. I'm in the water. I'm going under. I'm coming back up again. I just want to see if the lifeguard's doing his job. I mean, I'm not drowning, though. I'm just fine. I hate to be the one to tell you this, but Scripture says we're all drowning. Whether we admit it or not, whether we're faking it or not, we're all drowning in sin, and the reality is you can't save yourself. You can try all you want to, but you can't save yourself. You're going down just like I'm going down, and there's only one source of hope, one solitary source of hope. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 4. I love these verses. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. There's the Easter story in a nutshell. That this man stands before and you heal. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. And here's the verse. I love it. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. One name. Only one name. One door and only one. And the name on the door starts with a J, ends with an S. I'll let you fill in the blank in between. And it's not James, just so you know. You can't save yourself. And we try to put our salvation into the hands of so many names, don't we? Blackberry's going to save me. Wells Fargo's going to save me. Chevrolet's going to save me. I just want to make it so perfectly clear. You can't save yourself. Your dad can't save you. Your boss can't save you. Joseph Smith can't save you. Buddha can't save you. I'm getting into dangerous territory now. They can't save you. There's only one name by which we must be saved according to the holy word of God, and that's the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. I mean, we're up in the prayer room before we started today, before this service. Bob Brookins, God bless his heart, he says in his prayer, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. That's how salvation happens inside of us. It's not of ourselves. Let's keep moving. Salvation is a gift from God. God wants to give you salvation. Now the question is whether or not you'll receive it. I mean, I know we should probably all know this, but I'm going to review it just in case because I was a little confused, okay? This is how a gift works, all right? Someone gives it to you. Are we clear so far? Okay. Someone gives it to you. If a gift comes from you to you, it's not a gift, it's a purchase. Okay? Some of you are like, really? I mean, we tell ourselves differently to justify it, don't we? We say, no, 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 this is a gift to myself. <laughs> no, it's not. Check your bank balance when you're done. It's a purchase, okay? A gift is something you buy to give away to somebody else. And then they can either take it or leave it. My assistant Diane found a cool stat, but somewhat confusing to me. Last year, out of every five gift cards that were purchased in the United States, one went unused. 20% of them, nobody even bothered to do anything with it. The amount of unused gift cards from last Christmas alone totals $972 million. Gifts that people got and didn't use. Can I just go on record? If you don't want it, I'll take it. Best Buy, Home Depot, I'll share them with my friends. If you don't want them, 
pass them my way. You kind of miss the point of the gift if it's just riding around in your wallet for a year. Right? Or am I just nuts? The gift was offered, but it was not accepted and used. The gift of God is salvation. And he offers it to you, and you simply have a choice like I do. You can take it, or you can leave it. Even if you leave it, it's still a gift that's been offered. And God will offer it to you over and over and over and over again. When you're doing good and when you're doing bad, when you're walking your own road and when you're walking his, he's going to continue to offer it because he desperately wants you to take it. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. That means we're drowning. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's salvation. Let's take another step beyond this. So it's by grace, through faith. It's a gift from God. Here's the last little chunk. Salvation's not by works. You can't work your way into being saved. You can't earn your way into heaven. God doesn't have a glorious set of scales on which he balances all the good stuff you did and all the bad stuff you did. And if the good stuff outweighs the bad stuff, then you get your ticket punched and you get to go in. It doesn't work that way. I mean, one of my friends said this, you can't break, you can't break a sweat to get salvation. I know that disappoints some of you because you grew up like I did. You got saved and somewhere along the line you thought God gave you a really, really long list. And if you were going to keep it all together, you needed to be able to tick all of those boxes off every single week or something was wrong with you. It's devastating for some of us to hear that your Sunday school attendance record, your Boy Scout badges, your resume, your tithing record, your iTunes collection, your driving record, your diploma, your Christian service, it devastates us when we find out that that stuff can't save us. Because boy, do we work at it, don't we? Now don't get me wrong, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. No, in fact... If it's done with the right motive, what's cool about it is it brings glory to God. It makes God look good when we are doing the things that he's called us to do, that he's laid it out in front of us. But make no mistake, doing it won't save you. Doing it won't save you. Here's what the Bible says in Titus chapter 3. It says, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. The verse just goes in a great big circle. It starts with God's grace, and by the time you get all the way around it, it ends in exactly the same place. Salvation is because of God's grace. So let's review it. Salvation, it's by grace, through faith, not from ourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that we can't brag about ourselves, but so that we can brag about him. You've heard me say this little phrase before. We don't waste any time bragging about what we've done for God, but we spend an inordinate amount of time bragging about what God did for us. Let me throw in two more pieces because I think they're vitally important for all of us to know. Some of you may not know this, but salvation is the theme from heaven. It's the theme of heaven. I love it. When we get to heaven, we're going to get to see Jesus. And the Bible describes a scene that's going to happen. Let me read it to you from Revelation. It says this, After this, 
And this is the, John talking. John, who, who actually received the revelation. He goes, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus, just so you know. And they were wearing white robes, holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. The Bible says one day we're going to get together with people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and we're going to sing together. Some of you don't like singing. That's okay. You will. All right? You will. If you think we're loud at Christ the King, you have absolutely no idea what heaven is going to be like. That is going to be loud. We're going to redefine loud. There's somebody who goes, then I ain't going. Well, that's up to you. Okay? All right? We are going to gather and we're going to sing. And I love the fact that Scripture says we're not going to sing something that's not personal. The first thing coming out of our mouths is salvation belongs to our God. That's our God up there on the throne. Paid the price. It is finished. We're done. We're with Him. Everything is back together exactly the way it's supposed to be. Salvation belongs to our God. He saved us, paid the price, finished it. He made salvation possible and we are His, and He is ours. I mean, that's the heart of it right there. Last blank. Salvation is God's hope for everyone. Pastor Brian, in the prayer time before we came today, said, he said, you know, God, I, I wonder sometimes what people think when they heard you say that you were coming back soon because it seems like it's been a really, really long time. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us why it seems like it's a really long time. Scripture says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. As some understand slowness, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You want to know why Jesus didn't come back today? Because he's waiting. His heart for just one more person to be saved is what keeps him holding himself back. That amazes me. But it makes me thankful because a long time ago, the person everybody was waiting on was me. And at some point, it was you too. I don't know how to make it clear any other way. Jesus wants to save you. That's what salvation is all about. Some of you may be asking, I don't know how to do that. How do I do that? How, how do I take the gift? Romans 10 verse 9 says this, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I didn't say it, God did. You know, as we get ready to close, I, I really had prayers this week for three different groups of people. And whether you're in Bellingham or whether you're watching in Ferndale, I believe all three groups are represented. For those of you who are veterans of the faith, you've been doing this a long, long time. My prayer has been that all this talk about salvation would take you back to that moment when Jesus saved you. And that in that moment, God would restore to you the joy of your salvation. Because can I be honest? 
Some of you look like you lost your joy. You know, I watch you come into church, you know. saved you. You were hell bound and now you're heaven bound. And scripture says nothing can pluck you out of his hand. Do you have any idea how good you and I have it? We should be the giddiest people on earth because of the fact we've been saved. Didn't deserve it. He gave it to us. We should just all the time. It should just come out of us over and over and over again. I mean, it just should. My prayer is that you just be touched one more time by the grace of God that saved you, that you'll grow it with an ever-growing faith that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord, that you'll acknowledge again that it had nothing to do with you and everything to do with Him. I'm praying again that you'll be touched by God's gift to you. You'll understand you can't work for His salvation, but instead you'll accept the work that He finished on the cross and that it'll motivate you so much you're just going to want it. You're going to have to say it to somebody else. If you're a veteran, that's what I hope you got today. Not just another another message on salvation. Really cool when Grant said, God bless you. Wow. Second group of people is for those of you that are just newly saved in the last couple of weeks. Our brothers and sisters who've just come into the family. You see, I know how this works. You were saved by Jesus, and the first thing you heard when you walked out of the church was the enemy saying, oh, no, you didn't. It's just an emotional thing. You just got caught up. Just, okay, just leave it alone. It'll be fine. Just, just don't worry about him. The guy up front, he's a freak. Don't go back. Don't go back. Scary. Just, no, you, nothing happened. You're good. Just go back to exactly the way things were. My prayer for you, if you are newly saved, is this week that you'll walk out of here with a sharper sword than you walked in it. And that you'll be able to speak to the enemy of your soul and be able to say, excuse me, I have been saved by grace, through faith, not of myself. I accepted the gift. It's not by works. And I'm doing all of this so I can brag about Jesus. So you be quiet and leave me alone. The Bible says if you say that to him, he has to leave. Off you go. Okay? Now third group of people. Maybe you're here at Bellingham or at Ferndale and you've never received salvation from Jesus. It seems, it seems a little strange for me because we've just been on kind of a wave of what God's been doing the last couple of weeks. It's been incredible. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you've just really been thinking this through. If you've not received salvation from Jesus, in about 45 seconds, I'd like to share with you my story. I grew up in church. I tried really hard to be good enough. I had a spiritual checklist that I kept, tried to keep current, but I couldn't get it right to save my life. I was eight years old when Jesus saved me. I believed, and then I walked away. It didn't look like it on the outside. But in the inner part of my heart, I walked away, and Jesus followed me. 
followed me through my unbelief and my questions. He followed me through my sinful choices and my pain. He followed me into a pit of despair that seemed like it didn't have a bottom to it. And when he finally reached for my angry and my broken heart, I did everything I could to push him away. But even when I pushed him away, he reminded me, I made you. I made you and I saved you. And no matter what you do, I will be here for you. You are mine. I am yours. See, you just run as far and as long as you need to. I'll be waiting for you. And when you're ready. When you're ready. You come home. Jesus saved my life, literally. He saved my soul. He's in the process of saving me from me every hour of every day because I'm an idiot most of the time. He's not done with me, and I don't believe he's done with you, and he offers the same salvation that he offered to me almost 35 years ago to you, and the question for you is, are you going to take it or leave it? All of that to say, it's a really big word, but it might be the most important word of all. Would you pray with me as we close? Jesus, thank you for salvation and the joy that comes out of us, those who have been saved and are being saved. Because we understand how beautiful it is to know that you want to save us. Lord, for the veterans, would you restore the joy of their salvation? For those who are recently saved, may they be surrounded with a confidence that says, my Savior lives and I am saved. For those who have never received Christ before Jesus, I pray in this moment right now that they will confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus died for them, rose again for them, and offers them the gift of salvation today. Father, I pray that they would receive it in faith right now. Jesus, thank you for salvation what it is you're doing in the lives and the hearts of the people of Whatcom County, we would be so bold as to ask that the wave of salvation we have witnessed would continue and grow. And it is in Jesus' good name that we pray. Amen.